Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. I have a confession for you this morning. I'm a Minnesota sports fan. And as a Minnesota sports fan, um, you have to have a lot of faith as a Minnesota sports fan, okay? Um, if you say, um, you know, I have a tough time believing in something, uh, the question I'm going to ask you is, do you cheer for the Minnesota Twins? Do you cheer for the Minnesota Vikings? Because if you do, you've got way more faith than a lot of people, okay? Because they have just enough talent, just enough hope that you think, this is going to be our year, man. We're going to do it. They've got the chemistry this year. They've got uh, the right coaching staff. they got it all going on. And they make this miraculous win at the end. And you're like, yes, here we go. And then they get steamrolled. Second round. Year and year after year after year. And so I have a confession. Um, I have a backup team. As a Minnesota sports fan, sometimes you have to have a backup team. A team to cheer for when your team loses in the first round for the 20th consecutive year. A team that you're like, you know what? I don't like the Yankees. I don't like anything else that they cheer for. So I'm going to cheer for a team that might have a chance to go all the way. And behold, I became a Red Sox fan. Kind of. Quasi. I'm not really a Red Sox fan, but I like cheering for their Red Sox. It, it happened when I was uh, like 12 or 13 uh, when they were really good and the Twins were not so good. Um, they had David Ortiz, Manny Ramirez. They just had a great team. But what I fell in love with about the Boston Red Sox was not even the team, but their park. Fenway Park, the home field advantage for the Boston Red Sox, is like the crown jewel in the MLB era, it's in the MLB place. And I, I have a few pictures I'm going to show in just a second. Um, but I grew up like watching the stadium and going, that place is sweet. Like, like they got this green monster on that field, which is this huge wall where you have to hit over in order to get a home run. Um, it's, it's just a sweet ball field. And so anytime I would play like my video games and play MLB, I would always choose to play at Fenway Park because it was just a sweet place. And I, I fell in love with it and I watched it. Uh, and two summers ago, uh, I had the privilege with my wife and technically my son uh, to go and tour Fenway Park. And so I'm going to throw some pictures up on the screen, just kind of show you our experience. Um, this is Fenway. It is amazing. It's just a beautiful, it's, it's one of the oldest ballparks that are still around and still being operational. Uh, my wife and I had like got to go down near the near home plate, kind of, still within the seats. And uh, there's a picture of us on there. Uh, but what's really fun about this particular tour was um, that they got to bring us within all the areas of the park. And so they brought us into the locker room where the players normally are um, and they got to show us like with the actual lockers that the players use. So like, there's like they show us like this was, this was Derek Jeter's locker that he used every time he came to Fenway. Um, and so that's right down here. It's still, it's one of the most um, oldest uh, locker rooms. Like they don't have TVs in there or anything. And so the players that come to visit hate coming to Fenway because it's so prehistoric. Um, but then they brought us up into the press box, and this is me sitting um, on the green monster. Um, and just being up that high, man, is scary. Like, I love baseball, and I, I really hope sometime I get to go and sit up on the green monster, but it's a ways up there. Like, when you finally see it, it's a ways up there. And I share all this to say 
that when I used to watch Fenway Park, when I used to play it on my video games, when I used to watch the Twins go to Boston and to play in Fenway, I had all these ideas of like, man, that place is sweet. Like I just, I just thought about what it would be like to be there, and I thought about what it would be like to sit in those seats and do all these things, and I had all these preconceived ideas in my head, but when we actually stepped foot onto the grounds. You could smell the concessions going. You could you could just feel the heritage and the history of how many games had been played there. You could just you could you could visualize it all so much better. And it was almost like a surreal experience. And I realized in that moment that when you encounter something real for the first time, every preconceived idea, every counterfeit thing you have had up to that point won't do the trick anymore. It's just not the same. Once you experience the real thing, it changes your perspective forever. And in Acts chapter 9, we find a very similar story. There's a man by the name of Saul. And Saul was a born and raised Jewish man. He roamed the earth not long after Jesus came and and died. And he grew up as a Jewish man. And back in this time... The Jews were people who uh, loved God, they honored God, and they did so by following a bunch of rules and regulations, and that's how they honored God. And so Saul grew up in the Jewish tribe known as the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were the elite. They were the ones that knew the most. They were the type of Jews that they would grow up, like, instead of, like, playing with toys and, you know, doing all this stuff, like, they would sit down and just have to be, to listen to, like, the, the Torah or the law being read to them over and over and over again. And so, when they got to be teenagers and adults, they knew their stuff better than anybody else. They were devout. They were the best of the best. And as a Jew... Saul grew up hating Christ. Loved God, honored God, but hated Christ. And here's why. It seems, it seems odd. See, Jews, they believed that Jesus wasn't really the Messiah. They didn't really believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They didn't believe that He could save the world. So when Jesus comes and says, I am the Son of God, I have come to save you and to give you eternal life. I have come. All you have to do, you don't have to follow any rules. You don't have to, you don't have to be sentenced to death because of what you've done. Just follow me. Acknowledge that we all mess up. And when you follow me, you'll turn and inherit life. And as a Jew who spent your entire life trying to be good enough, that doesn't really make sense. That doesn't compute. When you live by 669 different rules and rituals, like they couldn't eat certain things on certain days, they had to go through these ritual washing ceremonies in order to be clean before God. When you spend your entire life being told that that's the way to honor God, and then Jesus comes and says, just love me and love others, That's a tough pill to swallow. And so Saul, instead of just being like, yep, that's a different perspective, he made it his mission to destroy Christianity. He made it his life mission to persecute, to imprison, and to kill anybody that followed Jesus or had an allegiance to Jesus. And so in Acts chapter 9, we find that he gets papers from Caesar giving him the power to destroy anyone who has an allegiance to Jesus. So Saul, it says in chapter 9, verse 3, 
As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, this mission to destroy Christianity, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Now sometimes when we read the Bible, it's kind of like, oh, that's a cool story. But can you imagine? You're driving to work. You got your coffee in hand. You're listening to K-Fan or whatever it is that you listen to on the way to work in the morning. And all of a sudden you're driving down 94 and the sun is like, boom, in your eyes. Like you can't see anything. And you just mind your own business. All of a sudden, God calls you out by name. Hey, hey, what are you doing right now? Can you imagine? I can just can imagine. I'd, be, I'd like drive off the road. Like that'd be terrifying. So Saul, this very God that he doesn't believe in or, or have an allegiance to, has this crazy experience, but it gets crazier. So the Bible goes on to say that after God calls down and calls Saul out, that these scales come over his eyes and he can't see anything. He's literally blind. And so the men that are with him escort him to Damascus. They get him into a little house where he prays for three days straight because he's terrified absolutely terrified. And so as this is happening, as he is praying, God's working something out. And so there's a man named Ananias. Everyone say Ananias with me. Ananias. He is a man who loves Jesus. He believes in Jesus. He gave his life to Jesus. He loves Jesus. And he is just having his morning prayer time. And he feels like God's saying to him, just audibly like he was to Saul, Ananias, there's a man named Saul in Damascus. I want you to go and pray for him because I'm doing something new in him and he's the one I have chosen. And I can see Ananias being like, Come again? What did you just say? Because this man is a man who's going to kill me. This is a man who hates that I believe in you, Jesus. This is a man that... Quite honestly, as soon as he sees me, he's going to strike me down and kill me and I'm going to be no more. That's the guy you, that's the guy you want me to go pray for? Uh-huh. Yeah, that guy. I want you to go and pray for him. Ananias goes. And he prays. But I want us to look through this passage because I, before he does all of that, it's this heart that I want us all to have today. I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as the people of Israel. So Ananias, scared out of his mind, he goes... And he lays hands on Saul. And this man that once hated Christians, this man that once just destroyed everything about Christianity, he goes and lays hands on him and he prays for him. And he gives his life to Christ. And he gets up. And as soon as they're done praying, the scales fall off his eyes. And he's a new man. See, God deconstructed Saul's perspective of who he thought that Jesus was. And instead showed him who he is. 
Saul had all these ideas, all these perceptions, all these things that this is how God operates. This is how God's going to move. This is who God is to me. And he had all this built up within him. And he goes, this is, if God's going to move, this is how he's going to do it. I've grown up my whole life learning this. I've grown up my whole life giving my life to this. But then God deconstructed it all. And God showed up in an instant. His perspective changed. Last week, Pastor Chris talked about going from bench to court. He talked about getting a part of what we're doing here at the Bridge Church. Talking about all the things that we have going on and, and how all of us play a part in that. And how we can all just, just, just come together to make this church happen. But he would say and I would say that we don't want you to get involved to fulfill the task. We don't want you just to get on team just to help us do something. We want you to get on team to get to know God. We want you to get on team and be a part of what we're doing here at the bridge because we believe that knowing God and knowing about God are two very different things. And we don't want to just do church. We don't want to just have all this stuff going on. We want you to experience who God really is. And not just you, but so many in our community, so many who don't know and are going through tough things. But to do that effectively, we've got to go first. We can't give what we don't have. We can't go and say, you've got to give your life to Christ. You got, you, you, like, this church is awesome and it's all this great stuff if we're not experiencing that same thing ourselves. Because we can know a lot about God, but that doesn't mean we know God. I handpicked my fantasy football players this last fall. I had all the all the the players I want. I got to handpick them. I knew where they went to college. I knew what their number was. I knew what position they played. I knew what team they were a part of. I knew what their skills were. What all these different things were, and I knew so much about my fantasy football players. Just ask my wife; it drove her nuts. Couldn't remember what was going on this week, but I remember who was playing when, and they were playing in Oakland. But then they were going to go over to San Diego and play there, and she just loved that. I knew a lot about my fantasy football players, but I didn't know them. I didn't know what their family was like. If they, if you were to ask them who I was, they would probably have no idea. I don't say probably. I know they would have no idea who I am. You can know a lot about something. It doesn't mean you know something. And in the same way, just because you think one way doesn't mean that's how it is. I grew up eating McDonald's like four times a week. I kid you not. Like, my mom, I love my mom. She's the most amazing woman. She burns toast, okay? She does not know how to cook. She hates cooking. And so, naturally, we spent a lot of time eating out. And so, um, because of that, I didn't eat a whole lot of fruits and vegetables growing up. And so, uh, when I got married, uh, my wife would love to, you know, incorporate different fruits and vegetables into our weekly meals. And... Um, I don't like vegetables or fruits very much, naturally. When you eat McDonald's a lot, that tends to happen. Um, and so she would say, hey, hey, hey babe, we're going to have um, strawberries and pineapple on the side. Do you like those? And I would say, no. And then she asked me something that was always just, just the dagger. Well, have you tried it? No. So then she would say, well, you're going to try it tonight. And most of the time, she was right. Like, I did end up liking it. Sometimes I was right, and, and I hated it. But how many times in life do we just 
sell ourselves out and believe that I'm not going to try it because I don't think I'm going to like it. I don't think I'm going to like this Jesus thing because there's a bunch of cuckoos out there who have done some really dumb things. Yeah, there are. There's a lot of them out there. But there's a lot of them who have experienced the living God and the real God. And just because we might not think we like it doesn't mean we won't. Saul thought he knew God. He thought he had him figured out. He thought that this is how it is. Until something so dramatic, so intense, so outside of his understanding happened that he had to reassess what's happening. See, sometimes I think we build up these little boxes of who we think God is, right? God is, is, is going to be there when I need help. God is, is, is going to be there with lightning and condemn me when I do something wrong. God's going to meet me at church, and when I leave this church, I'm back on my own. We build all these little construction, these little boxes of who we think that God is. But when God intervenes, when He does something so far outside your box that you have to go, maybe I had it wrong, that's when we start to experience the real God in a real and personal way. See, Saul went from a Jesus hater to a Jesus follower. He went from a persecutor to a preacher. He went from Saul to Paul. He was literally renamed in the Bible because God gave him such a brand new name, such a brand new identity because he was such a different changed person. Why? Because he experienced the real and living God. He went from a man who would kill and imprison and hate Christians to writing two-thirds of our New Testament in the Bible. Two-thirds of it. And I have to think, if a man that was so convinced that Jesus was the enemy to the level that he would kill somebody for it, would flip sides and change everything he believed, I would have to think he experienced something pretty profound something pretty intense, something pretty real, because that just doesn't just happen. And today I'm going to call us from being fans to followers. I'm calling us from being fans of the Red Sox, fans of the Twins, fans of Jesus, to followers of Jesus. I love this church. I love seeing this place fill up. I love seeing so many of these of these chairs getting filled up by you guys and seeing your neighbors and, and your family members and you guys walk in here week after week and I love that. It's what we pray for. It's what Chris and I long for. It's what we try to, to create to the best of our ability every single week. I don't want to just have a bunch of warm seats in here. I want to have people who genuinely experience God. I don't want us just to come to church and that's it. We're coming to church because that's what we do in America on Sunday mornings. We come to church and that's it. I want us to experience the living God. I want us to come to this place on Sunday morning expecting God to move in our life. Expecting God to do something within us. Expecting to experience something real. I don't love cliche quotes because it's meant to seem like just follow this quote and you'll feel better. I'm not into cliche quotes, but I'm into real truth. I'm into something that, you know what? This is real. This is tangible. This is something that I can actually hold on to. I want to experience something real. 
that's what this series is meant to do. We're in this series called Spring Training because that's what we're here to do with our faith. In spring training, it's like the preseason of baseball. It's where all the strategies, it's where all the off-season talk, it's where all the theories and the trades and all of this stuff that we've been working on for months, it's where, it's where rubber meets the road. It's where all of a sudden we go from this is what our plan is to this is how we execute. That's when they start to play. And they get out there and they live it. And the same applies to our faith. We can debate theology all day long. We can debate what's right or wrong. We can debate which side of the fence you're on politically. We can do all of this stuff and spin our wheels and get so caught up in church. But there comes a time where we have to live it. We have to live our faith. We have to live our life with Jesus. And so sometimes when you think when you give your life to Christ, when you, when, when, when you say, yes, God, I'm here, we think that's the end. That's the finish line. It's actually the start. It's the start of something awesome. It's the start of a new life. It's the start of a new beginning. It's the start of something great. So we're here today to experience God. And sometimes that's a little mysterious, right? Like, we're going to experience God, right? We're going to soak in the experience. Like, it's kooky, okay? It seems a little weird. I don't like kooky. I don't like funky. I don't like goofy. I like real things. And so what do I mean when I say that we're going to experience God? I was going to have my wife help me with this, but as you can probably hear, my son's having a meltdown out there. He's very passionate. He's cheering me on from, from back there. Speaking of my son, though, a couple months ago, um, he was taking a bath on Friday morning. And... Um, I was just like, just parents back me up here. Sometimes after just like a crazy week, like you just look forward to those moments where your kids are just preoccupied, right? Like just, oh, I don't have to pull their fingers out of the oven. I don't have to keep him from the cat from clawing his eyes out right now. I don't have to worry about him taking a header down the steps. Like when they're self-sustaining, it's a blessing, okay? It's just like, oh, this is what it's like to breathe again. That's what it is like in the tub. The kid goes crazy for the tub. You say bath, and he can be in the other side of the house, and he peels out heading for the, for the, for the bathtub. And so um, it was a crazy week. It was Friday, and he was sitting in the tub, and uh, I was just like an autopilot. So I was like, he's good, and, and life is good. And he started to play in the tub. And I'll never forget, I feel like God spoke to me when he was in the tub. Because my son has these little buckets he plays with. For whatever reason, we buy him all the toys in the world, but he loves these buckets. And so, he'll take these buckets, and there's holes in the bottom of them, and he loves to see the water come out. So, uh, when the water is running and the tub is filling up, he'll, he'll put the bucket under there and just love watching the water, and he thinks it's the best thing ever. And then I'll turn the faucet off, and he'll want me to turn it back on so he can, he can play with the buckets. And, and so, I was just watching him play with his buckets, like for the four millionth time I've seen him do it. I feel like God spoke to me. He goes, Derek, I feel like you're like this cup. I was like, okay, that's kind of an odd thing to say. He goes, watch the bucket. So my son would put it under the faucet, and it would fill up, and water would come out the bottom. He said, here's the problem. He goes, a lot of times, we come to church on a Sunday morning, and we expect God to fill us up. So God comes, sorry, Chris, getting water on your stage. God fills us up a little bit. But there's a hole in the bottom of this cup. Because just like this hole, sometimes there are things in our life that drain us. 
stress of work, stress in marriage, stress of raising kids, stress or doubts about faith, doubts about what your situation is going to be like. The list could go on. Whatever it is, you know. When I'm talking about things that drain you in your life, there's things in our life that drain us. And so we come to church and we expect God to fill us up. And so he does it. We come, we get drained, we come to church next Sunday. God fills us back up a little bit. Then we walk out the door and then our co-worker says that thing again. And we're empty again all of a sudden. So then we're like, you know what, God? You know what? Sunday's not enough. I need you to, I, just, I need you to just, just fill this up. Like, just, just take this problem in my life that, that's, that's bugging me. Just, just please just take it away. Just cover the hole. I just, I'll believe in you if you can take this tough thing away from me. So we come back to church. We pray that prayer. And we're like, sweet. My cups fill, fill a little bit. But then all of a sudden there's a setback. And that prayer doesn't get answered like you thought it would. So all of a sudden, you're empty again. And the life and the things that in your life that you were expecting God to do and to change and to move aren't happening. So you're going, God, what's up? Because I am dang empty right now and I'm trying and I'm coming to you and you said you would answer my prayer. Pastor Derek Vesker said that God answers your prayer and he cares for you and he's there for you. God, what's up? Because I'm feeling very empty right now. This isn't working. This thing that you said would be there, it's not working. What's up? I was there in the bathroom that Friday when God said that to me because I had been tired. As your pastor, I'll say that sometimes like there are things in my life that just, that just stress me out and I just feel empty and I come to God and I'm like, what? Why is this not working? And this forever changed my life. What he said with my son's little buckets. He said, you have it all wrong. He goes, you're looking for me to do something. You have this religion perspective going, if I do, if I pray, if I ask, if I do the right things, if I say the right things, then God, you have to do. It's like a vending machine. He goes, Derek, you're looking for the holes in your cup to be filled. What if you just ask what I'm trying to teach you in this moment? What if you just change your perspective instead of looking for me to do something for you, just experience something. He said, look at your son. And here's where it's going to get messy. So just know that I know it's going to be a mess, okay? There's carpet on here, so we're all good. Isaac, can you come hold this? Thank you. Isaac, Isaac doesn't know he's going to fall. You're, you're my wife today, so congratulations. It's fitting because you're taller than I am, so it's all good. You can put it over here. Here's what I feel like God told me in that, in that bathroom on that Friday. He said, you're looking at it all wrong. You're trying to get the holes in your life filled, but I'm not calling you to fill your holes. You might want to put that a little bit lower. It's going to get messy. We need to experience God at such a level that we overflow. That we experience Him and let Him into our life so much that not only are we always filled up, no matter what comes out, but that the love that we experience overflows at such a level that those around us have that overflow and that experience. You can set that down. Thanks, boss. Can we, can we clap for Isaac? We are stressed a lot. 
I don't need to tell you that. If you're not stressed, like, awesome. Like, that seriously is so cool. But I think a lot of us in here, maybe it's not stress. Maybe it's loss. Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's distrust. Maybe it's just a nagging thing in the back of your mind. Maybe it's, it's something that's so deep that you can't even open up to anybody. Maybe it's something so minor that you don't even want to bring it up because it seems so petty. But the reality is that there are things in our life that drain us. Sometimes they're people. Sometimes they're circumstances. And I feel like God is not looking for us to have a direct response. I'm calling us to go from religion to relationship. In that moment, it wasn't like God was saying, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that. He was just saying, change your perspective. I'm not looking for you to do anything, Derek. I'm looking for you to be. I'm looking for you to just experience me fully. Don't just think you need to come to church and sit down on your knees and have these long, drawn-out prayers. He goes, I want to be a part of your daily life. I feel like Saul, the reason that he got changed is because God interrupted his daily routine and experienced him when he wasn't expecting it to. And that encounter changed him forever. God isn't looking for you to say the right things and, and utter the right prayers. He's looking for you to invite him into your life. When you're sitting at the sink on Sunday night washing the dishes and that stress or that thing that's plaguing you is coming on, he's not looking for you to just say, Oh God, you got it, you got it. He's saying, let me in. Let me in. God, I'm struggling in my marriage right now. God, I don't see how they see it this way. I don't want to have this conflict anymore. Would you help me see the way she sees it? Would you help me see it the way that he says it? Would you help me the way this? God, would you come in this situation when you're driving to work on Monday and somebody cuts you off and flips you the bird, instead of flipping it right back, say, have a good day. Let him in to your life. Pray on your way to work. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm just going to come to church and expect God to work on me and speak to me one hour a week. Let Him in to your daily life. Because the only way that cup can continue to be overflowed is if we let Him. If you're only flipping that cup over to get filled on Sunday morning, we're going to miss the boat. We've got to let Him in in our daily life. We need to go from religion to relationship. And to have that relationship, you need to understand the God that's in your corner. The Bible says that Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The Bible says that God knows the thoughts before they are even on your brain. The Bible says that God promises to give us strength, peace, direction, and comfort. When you welcome God into your life, when you're looking to Him, when you're praying, when you're doing all of this thing, you're being constantly filled up. Because you're allowing him into the muck and the mire. You're letting him in to life. You're being real. And that's all he's calling us to do. We aren't meant to come to church to be loved. We, don't, we aren't supposed to come to church to earn God's love. We're supposed to come to church to just know how loved we are. If you're coming to church with the expectation that you're going to earn God's love, that you're going to have all of this, that, that I'm going to earn brownie points with God so He's going to bless me, we have it wrong. Because the love that God has for us is already there. We're not coming here to earn it. We're coming here to understand it. We're coming here to know just how much God thinks of us. Instead of trying to impress God, instead of trying to do all these things for Him, 
be real. Be authentic. Just understand where you're at and let God speak into your life. This is not an anti-church message. It's not a religion stinks message. Because all the things are good. But there are real people in these chairs right now, in our community, maybe even ourselves, who need to understand that God is not looking for something for us or from us. He's looking for us. Quit trying to earn it. If we're going to show people the real God, if we're going to show them how much life-changing He is, we have to let Him change us. And that can be intimidating sometimes. That can be scary sometimes. But it will change your life. I'm going to call Becca up. When we experience God, it changes us. But how do you experience God? Some of us in here are brand new to church. Some of us are brand new to faith. Here's how you experience God. Number one, you got to be open and honest. Psalm 139, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything that I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. God knows you, man. He knows the number of hairs that are on your head. He knows when you're going to stand up. He knows when you're going to sit down. He knows what you're thinking even before it comes into your brain. So if you think you're going to hide from him, if you think you're going to hide how you really feel, it's not going to work. Because he knows you better than you know yourself. And so part of experiencing God, part of being a part of this life-changing thing that we call Christianity, you have to be able to be open and honest, not with God, but with yourself. Understanding that God knows you. He sees the greatest parts about you, and he sees the not-so-great parts about you. And you know what? He loves you anyway. Loves all of you. He sees all of the things about you, and he loves you more than you could even love yourself. Because that's who he is. And so we gotta be open and honest. We have to let God in. We have to say, you know what, God, I'm not even sure if I believe in you. You know what, God? I'm not even sure if I can trust you because you took this away from me. You know what, God? This marriage that was so great, this 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 parenting that was promised to be so great, it's hard, it's not easy, but you know what, God? I want you in it. Would you help me with it, God? Maybe I'm missing the mark. Maybe I'm failing in this area. But God, would you help me? Would you help me? Failure doesn't exist in the kingdom. You're never too far gone. You're never too far of a failure to be loved by God. You need to understand, you guys. Saul or Paul was as far away from Jesus as you could possibly imagine. He experienced God because he had to be open and honest. The fact that this life-changing experience that came down from heaven, maybe I had it wrong. Maybe God can't help in the situation. I think he's calling us to do the same thing. And when you're open and honest, you can begin to seek. That wasn't it for Paul. He experienced God, but then he sought after God. 
He followed people who loved Jesus. He followed what it was like, and it changed him. Matthew chapter 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. The more you seek to know God, the more you're going to experience God. How do you seek God? Pray. Prayer in our church today can seem hard. People are looking up, how do I pray? How do I do all this? Can I just challenge you this morning? Just talk to God. Just talk to Him. I love my wife so much. And what I love about her so much is that I can just come with her exactly how I feel sad, frustrated, happy, nervous, stressed, whatever it is, I can talk to my wife and she understands and she listens. But what's crazy about God is he's even better. He's a better listener. And I have news for you. He's not going to be surprised with what you tell him. Just pray. Just pray. It's not easy to start. Get alone. Whether it's in your bedroom at night or on your way to on your way to work. God, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to do this, but you know what, God? I need help with this. Would you help me? God, would you just give me strength for this? Would you help me just have the, the, sometimes can I just have the right perspective and the right words? Because everything within me wants to go against the grain and say what I want to say, but God, you're calling me to something different. So would you help me say that? Just pray. Open up the Bible. Seek Him. If you're looking for purpose, if you're looking for direction, it's in that Bible. I promise you. If you're looking for encouragement, if you're looking for strength, it's in that Bible. If you don't know how to open the Bible, leave something on your Connect card. On your smartphone, there's this thing called Version. It's a Bible app. They have plans on how to start reading the Bible. Find a version that you can read. You will cha- Your life will change when you open that book. And lastly... This is honestly the toughest one. It's the simplest and the toughest all at the same time. The way to experience God the most is to receive Him. It's so hard to just understand that we are loved. Because everything within our American minds, everything within our culture says, I gotta be better. I gotta do this. I've gotta take it like a man or like a woman. I've gotta just manhandle it and, 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 and force my body, force myself to do this, and then I'll be better, and then I'll figure it out. And God's not calling you to that. He's calling you to something different. He's calling you to receive life. He's calling you to receive strength and encouragement and comfort through Him. So just receive. I'm so passionate about this because here's the reality. There are people in our community. There are teenagers in our school. There are kids back in that room and across this community and across this world who are going through real things. Real heavy things. Real challenging things. Kids, two years old and younger, my wife works as a social worker. She can't share a lot of the things she experiences because of of HIPAA and all this different stuff, but she comes home just broken because there are kids in this world, in this community. Water, sorry. We're going through tough things. You guys are going through tough things. I know you are. 
there's people in our community who are going through tough things. And what breaks my heart the most is a lot of them don't have hope. They don't have Jesus because you know what? Sometimes religion gets it wrong. Sometimes Jesus gets lost in religion because religion is shameful. Religion is condemning. Religion makes me feel like I'm not good enough. Religion says that if I do this, then God will do this. And if he doesn't do this, then you don't have enough faith. If you're depressed, it must mean you have sin in your life. If you're going through a tough thing with your marriage, it must be because you're a bad person. Religion says you are bad and God says you are good. But the problem is sometimes we don't get to experience God because religion gets in the way. I am passionate about this message today because I am so sick and tired of our teenagers and our adults in this community not finding hope because religion gets in the way. God changed our life. He changed my life. He changed my wife's life. He changed so many lives in this world because he's real and he cares and he's passionate and he wants to be there for you and for me. But to do that, we have to experience the real God. I experienced Fenway for the first time it changed my life because no longer was it my perception it was reality and the same thing is available to all of us in our faith today if you've been hurt by the church if you know someone who's been hurt by the church or by religion or by some Christian who shamed you made me feel like a terrible person I'm sorry I'm really sorry God calls us to love He'll take care of the rest. So you do this with me. Will everyone in this room bow your heads? We're going to pray. I'm not going to have you raise your hand. I'm not going to have you do anything. But if you're in this place right now, and maybe you're like Saul, maybe you're like, you know what, God, I don't even believe in you. You know what, God, I, I don't even want to be at church here. Maybe you know someone in your life who's like that. this hope and this life and this encouragement. I just want to encourage you. That's as simple as asking Jesus into your life. It's as simple as saying, you know what, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Would you come into my life and change me from the inside out? God, would you just be the Lord and, and Savior of my life? And he's there. But God, for everyone in this room, whether you are in that boat or whether maybe you know Jesus, maybe you love Jesus, but maybe you know what? That cup that I had, it can't get full fast enough. There's something within our life, some kind of mountain, some kind of massive thing, or maybe just a culmination of a bunch of small things that are wearing us out and are, are just making us sad and, and hurt and whatever it is. But you want to overflow today. You want to be so full of life that you can't help but overflow and that joy and that comfort and that strength that you feel is felt by so many people around you. If that's you in this place, I'm going to pray in a second. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to do anything. Just agree with me in your head and say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. So God, we are here before you, God. You're not looking for something extravagant. You're not looking for us to do something. You're not looking for us to be something. You're looking for us to just be ourselves. You're looking, God, for us. Because, God, you're a good father. And like any good father, God, you just want us to collapse into your arms. You just want us to just be and just come as we are and just let you fill us up and encourage us and strengthen us, God. 
God, there are people in this room, there are people in our community, there are people across the world, God, who need you, who need to experience your life-changing power, who need to experience the joy, who need to come to know you, God, so that they can go to heaven. God, there are people in this world who need you, Jesus. Just pray, God, that you would intervene and intercede in their life. Stop them in their tracks, God, and show them the real you, not the religion you, the real you. And God, let us be that light in this world. Let the light within us shine so brightly that people can't help but notice that there's something different because you are the center. God, whatever it is that we came into this place bearing on our shoulders, whatever it is that is stressing us out and draining us, God, we give it to you. And we know you're going to take care of us. You're going to love us. You're going to change us from the inside out. We are expecting you to do that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to walk out of this place with some lighter shoulders. So we're going to pump some some music here in just a second. Go pick up your kiddos. Hug somebody. Give them a high five. Put hand sanitizer on. I don't care what you do. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday and have a life-changing week. God bless you guys.